Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 17th of December 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by Patrick Henningsen. And of course, David Scott will be bringing us northern exposure from north of the border. And we very much hope to have Alex Thompson bring us eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Well, what a lovely setting, fire blazing. It's quite warm in here today for a change. It is, it is. Yeah, we broke out the Christmas decorations once again. So we've got a tree behind us, Patrick. Tell us about the tree. Well, yes, you would have noticed we've, we've changed the ornaments this year, a uh, little more festive, but uh, we thought we'd just be able to, you know, change the bulbs. And th this really represents the pecking order here of who's really in charge. So who's taking control of of the UK at the moment is uh, Chief Science Advisor Chris Whitty at the top of the pyramid and then going down in sequential order there's uh, Sanjit Javid, the new Health Secretary, and uh, Nazim Zawari, aka Anton, Anton LaVey, yes. and then at the bottom, not quite in charge anymore, that's Boris Johnson there uh, at the bottom of, of the tree there with the trimmings. Uh, and as you can see, there's various uh, coronaviruses they're, they're lurking, lurking. And they're alive as well, just to warn you. So the fact that the top next to Witty, who's who's in charge of Chris Witty is Omicron. You can see it looks slightly different than the other ones. That's because it's a new strain, we're told. But who's really in charge? We have to go to the top of the tree and see what the fairy looks like. So if we just uh, go a little bit further up and see who is really in charge. Well, there he is. He's the one giving orders. That's uh, Bill Gates. Doctor Bill Gates, PhD. In, in nothing personal. <laughs> Emeritus, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a, yeah, so a little, little more um, different sort of festive feel this year. Yes, okay. So thank you very much for that, Patrick. This is a, a fantastic tree. Um, and uh, well, let's move on quickly to our, we're going to do a review of the year, first of all, and then we're going to look into the future a little bit. Uh, well, this isn't so much a review of the year as, as, uh, as today's headline, but it sort of covers a lot of uh, how we've been living for the last 12 months. This is Richard Littlejohn. Welcome to the, welcome to I Can't Believe It's Not Lockdown. With Christmas in disarray, city centres once again deserted and shops, bars and restaurants bereft of customers. Now I'm hearing uh, mixed uh, stories from various people about what's actually going on in city centres uh, today, uh, because, uh, you know, we've got, uh, uh, I've, I've heard from London that Actually, there isn't uh, that. There are people out on the streets, maybe not quite as many as usual, but it is quite busy. Plymouth, uh, Patrick, I think, is is just as busy as usual. Seems to be. Um, so uh, certainly on the roads this morning, there wasn't any indication that uh, it was any less busy than usual. So uh, so I'm not sure what he's talking about. But nonetheless, uh, what I really wanted to get at was was uh, some of your thoughts on this, Brian, because what he's really hinting at there is the fact that people have, uh, to some degree decided that uh, based on what, based on the noises made by Chris Whitty and Boris Johnson, they've decided to lock themselves down. Um, and and uh, um, so without an actual, uh, actual rules or actual law or actual statement from any, any so-called leader, they've decided to, to lock themselves down. And of course, this is all nudging and the continuous nudging yeah. of the population for the last two years. Uh, and we're almost at a point that a certain section of the population is just uh, softened up to the degree that as soon as 
any of these people open their mouths, they will they will behave in a particular way. Uh, that's absolutely correct. So we've got two things been going on. We've got we've got COVID nineteen and the vax agenda. That's one attack from the government and the international globalist uh, organisations. And then the other one is the psycho political operation, which is to use a applied psychology to um, induce fear in the population. Therefore, the population will will do everything they want automatically. It's quite clear the agenda. Uh, I chose this uh, film clip. Somebody sent it through, but I hadn't seen it before. But we've got Sir Desmond Swain talking in Parliament, I think from a few days ago. Um, and he sees this very clearly. And you can see him getting quite hot under the collar. But look at the reaction, watch the reaction of the remainder of people in Westminster around him. Let's just have a look at this clip. In a typical winter's day, between 200 people and 350 people will die of flu. Do we hide behind our masks? Do we lurk at home, working from home? Do we demand that people provide their bona fides before going to a, a venue? Do we require people to be vaccinated as a condition of keeping their jobs? The question is whether the, the measures before us today are proportionate actually comes down to a matter of opinion. Do you take seriously some of the extraordinary extrapolations that we've been given, particularly given the record of before? The fact that these are things that might take place and we have to balance that against the known costs and damage to enterprise, economy and society. And in the end, it comes down to a matter of opinion, a matter of our prejudice. And we are typically capable of organising our lives and making those decisions for ourselves. We decide what our risk appetite is and what we're prepared to encounter and what we're prepared to not. Notwithstanding the carnage on our roads, certainly killing more people than COVID at the moment, some of us still decide to drive. It's a matter of opinion. So it comes down to letting loose the dogs of war. Get the fear factor into it. Get the members of the officials, the members of SAGE, the members of Independent SAGE, of SPY-M, all those, of course, speaking in their own private capacity. Get them out there twisting the fear lever. What about the, um, in the, the uh, Health Protection Agency? What, what Stalinist minds thought up that nomenclature? Get them out there twisting the fear button and by and large, you will get the reaction that you want. People will crave more enforcement and more fiercer measures to protect them from this great danger that is out there. And let hospitality be just collateral damage. Let them endure the deluge of cancellations now affecting that industry in what should be its most productive time. That's the situation that we have delivered. The government, having administered this ministry of fear, of fear, is absolutely complicit with its officials and its organisations that have designed it and delivered it. They have abandoned in doing that any principle of social democracy, of liberal democracy, absolutely beyond, beyond anything that we've endured in recent living memory in the history of this uh, pandemic. 
And as a consequence, having abandoned what might have been their ideology, they are rudderless. And as a consequence of that, so much more at risk of the opinions and predictions of the advisors to which they are in hock. Right, so, so as Desmond Swain was finishing that little speech, Brian is saying here, no, they're not in, they're not rudderless. And that's absolutely right. Now, the bit that he, that he hinted at there, David, if I could welcome you to the programme, the bit that he hinted at uh, or was talking about was the fact that uh, the hospitality industry is the first that's suffering as a result of all this. Um, but of course, it's not going to be the last that suffers as a result of all this. Um, and, but what he doesn't seem to grasp is that what we have going on here is actually a controlled, uh, what's uh, bankruptcy, shall we call it, a controlled bankruptcy of the entire economy. Uh, because this comes back to the Green New Deal, to Mark Carney and his comments about uh, a whole economy transition. So we are going through a transition economically, and, but that's being driven through policy and COVID is one area where that policy is originating from. Yeah. Um, is it rudderless or is it not? I, I, I've got some sympathy with Desmond Swain here about the rudderless comment because the, the people who are meant to have the hand in the tiller, not, none, of, none of the connecting rods in place, none of the controls they think that they can exert legitimately to steer the country seem to be connected anymore. And it, it looks a bit like rudderlessness. Um, and yes, there are other, there are other um, agendas here at play. And, and they're so pervasive. It's like, it's like you don't notice air pressure because it's everywhere. It's inside and out. The pressures that are being being brought to bear to change our society are so pervasive. They're so everywhere. They're from education to to media to government to they're they're, they're, they're in every aspect of life. And they're almost unnoticeable because they become background, but they're very much there nonetheless. And it's it's that that's steering the ship. It's those forces that are steering the ship, not um, Captain Boris. Indeed. You any thoughts? No, uh, just that uh, I, I agree with what uh, David just said there. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, the, it, it is pervasive. It's invaded every single aspect of uh, society, of individual life. Uh, and, and there's a number of industries, I think, that'll be cycled out. They're also going to go for all the vices. They're, they're already banning, uh, they're going for a tobacco ban in New Zealand a full ban on tobacco. Not that uh, I'm a supporter of smoking, but uh, it, alcohol will probably follow after that at some point, yeah. I would think. Uh, so, it, or it will be reserved for certain people with certain- Certain classes. Status or, or, and yeah. so forth. So that's where things are heading. And the, the, the justification for that would be because you know any of these bad lifestyle choices or any of these bad environmental choices are, are gonna be a threat to the healthcare, a burden on the healthcare system. And any bad economic or uh, environmental choices are going to be a burden on the planet. Yeah. And so that's going to give the state license or the new global governance structure license to uh, adjudicate all of these sweeping changes. Yeah. I'd, if I may, I'll just, just add my comment on the fact that is it is it we haven't got a hand on the tiller, we're, we're rudderless. No, this is, this is organized chaos. This is chaos coming in from every which way. 
but it's organized. And who's organizing it? Well, the international globalist organizations. And uh, we'll be mentioning one of those certainly at the end of the uh, end of this news. Uh, but in the meantime, Patrick, uh, a big feature from this year has been uh, state violence and particularly Australia. Yes. Yeah. Australia was really, I think, the, the, the story that woke uh, a lot of people up, were surprised and shocked to see this uh, once uh, seen to be laid back country uh, embroiled in so much domestic uh, violence coming from the state. And this has been followed by an, uh, all sorts of policies, including uh, very authoritarian vaccine mandates uh, and you know, overreach by the government that um, even uh, bested what was going on in Europe at the time, although now Germany has caught up and Austria and the European countries are now following uh, Australia's lead on that, which uh, gives a lot of credence to the uh, idea that Australia and New Zealand are beta testing grounds for all sorts of uh, these globalist uh, policies or globalized progressive, quote, policies. But the, the violence was definitely a shocker here. We're looking at Dan Andrews there, uh, just to go back that arguably the world's most dangerous beta male. Uh, he is presiding over the People's Republic of Victoria there. Uh, and then the same, we saw similar things in New South Wales with the ousted Gladys Berejiklian. Uh, but uh, everyone's really shocked. And I think this, what Australia went through, woke up a lot of protest movements around the world because I think people were so it was so striking and people were so yeah. shocked about it. So, uh, and, and it also it woke up the Australian uh, uh, opposition, which was to that point on its, on its back heels in shock about what had been happening and progressed so rapidly in their country. It really, I think, took a lot of people by surprise and it took them a year to get into gear, but boy, did they get into gear. You can see, and this is where it's at right now, there's Dan Andrews on this billboard here, 24 hour, protests there in Melbourne in front of the, the main uh, parliamentary government building there. And that's unheard of to see 24-hour protests uh, camping out in Australia, protesting street activities all night. Uh, it's curbside barbers for people who can't go to hairstylists. There's barbers uh, out in Melbourne who are volunteering to cut people's hair who are unvaccinated. Wow. So, I mean, that's where they're at right now. It's an extraordinary story. Uh, and I think the, the, the thing that really, I think, shocked our viewers is when we showed footage here from the Northern Territory of this is just outside of Darwin uh, and uh, this particular Howard Springs in Northern Territory uh, and this camp, this is a COVID camp. And while this made the rounds internationally, the Australian leadership, especially up, uh, Michael Gunner, the chief minister up there was saying, this, this is totally normal. Celebrities stay at these camps. Our Olympic athletes stay here. It's absolutely fine. Uh, this is just a safe quarantining facility. And then you look at the aerial shot of this and you see the grid of all these porta cabins. They're not allowed to leave the, the deck there of their cabin. They can take their mask off to talk or and maybe to go to the laundry, but they have to wear the mask. They can only go to certain places. And they're saying this is totally normal. And this is a quarantine facility. If you've been in close contact, not if you have COVID, but if even if you've been in contact with somebody who had a PCR positive test. So this really, I think, shocked a lot of people, again, uh, out of Australia. Okay, uh, now, David, uh, let's move on to, uh, to this. And uh, of course, the issue of, uh, of children and vaccination. Yeah, so this is from, uh, uh, published by Lou Rockwell today. Um, 
and it comes from Robert Malone, MD, who's been speaking out uh, courageously on th these matters for uh, many months. Uh, the, the headline is uh, 16,000 physicians and scientists agree kids shouldn't get the COVID vaccine. COVID vaccines are irreversible and potentially permanently damaging, says Dr. Robert Malone, who explains why 16,000 physicians and medical scientists around the world have signed a declaration publicly declaring healthy children should not be vaccinated for COVID-19. Um, so uh, Dr. Malone goes on and says that there are three things you need to understand. First, um, that a viral gene will be injected into your children's cells. This gene forces your child's body to make toxic spike proteins. These proteins often cause permanent damage in children's critical organs, including the brain and nervous system, the heart and blood vessels, including blood clots, the reproductive system. The vaccine can trigger fundamental changes in the immune system. You can't fix the lesions within the brain. You can't repair the heart tissue scarring. You can't repair genetically reset immune system. The vaccine can cause reproductive damage that could be could affect future generations of your family. The second thing you need to know is the fact that this novel technology has not been adequately tested. We need at least five years of testing and research before we can really understand the risks. Harms and risks from new medicines often become revealed many years later. Ask yourself if you want your own child to be part of the most radical medical experiment in human history. And the final point the reason they're giving you to vaccinate your child is a lie. Your children represent no danger to the parents or grandparents. It's actually the opposite. Their immunity after getting COVID is critical to save your family, if not the world, from the disease. In summary, there's no benefit for your ch children or family to be vaccinating your children against the small risks of the virus, given the known health risks of the vaccine that as a parent you and your children may have to live with for the rest of their lives. The risk-benefit analysis isn't even close. And of course, the risk-benefit analysis is what we've been asking the MHRA for since June, and still there is silence. And um, he quotes uh, Robert F. Kennedy uh, speaking at a congressional hearing in one of the, the American states, um, Alabama, I think, he said uh, to the inquiry, never in human history have old people been required to, uh, have old people required young people to take risks, make sacrifices and die to preserve older people. Uh, we have a fiduciary duty to our children. Old people sacrifice themselves for the children in a moral society, in a robust society, in a society that we are proud of. We do not tell children to take risks to preserve old people. We need to stand up and take a moral choice and an ethical choice for our children. And this gets to the very core of the government's argument. And, and the point I'm making here is the collapse of the government's argument, the collapse of the scientific argument on, on COVID and COVID vaccinations. The argument is there's no risks, no significant risk to children from COVID but they will kill their grandparents. So we must vaccinate them, and that means maiming some and killing some, in order to save the older generation from this perceived risk. All of that's a lie. And even if it weren't, it would be utterly immoral. And that's what the government has sold to us, using the fear you were describing earlier. That's what the population has so far mostly accepted. And that's what we have to wake people up to in 2022.
So, uh, but one of the big features of 2021, Patrick, has been global protest and global demonstration. Yeah, and, and we thought we saw big global demonstrations. You remember back in 2019, 2018, it was cascading all over the world for different reasons. And we've even bested that, I think, in 2021, and in terms of broad-based protests, and especially in Western countries. And normally you would see this with to, to oppose a war or something like this in the past, like the Iraq war. No, this is really against vaccine mandates. So it's kind of interesting is the, 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 the government various governments that are all uh, in unison, really acting in unison with these policies and uh, basically expediting the, 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 the agenda coming out of Davos and coming out of all these various uh, globalist confabs. Um, they, they've put all of their cards on the table now and there's, it's very clear, it's very clear now what they're after uh, in terms of how far they're gonna push this uh, and really just winding down democratic systems uh, winding down uh, conventions that we've had uh, as universal declarations of human rights, for instance. And the more they do this, the, the, the more they are triggering a great awakening. Yeah. It's very, very clear now. And so we look at in Europe here, the, the vaccine passports that they said would never happen. Uh, the fact checkers two years ago would say that this is a conspiracy theory, and here it is. Uh, and we have medical apartheid now as de facto state policy in the European Union. And this is being one of the leaders of this is uh, none other than the unelected head of the EU, and that's Ursula von der Leyen. And it's interesting uh, that uh, Germany and Austria are two of the countries that are pushing hardest, earliest uh, on this agenda, which is effectively state-mandated uh, segregation and yeah. discrimination. And considering the history of Europe, the not so in the not so distant past. It's either ironic or not that this is happening and starting yeah. now in Germany. And then in Brussels is, is it basically uh, an appendage of, uh, of, of Germany in this sense. They're quietly pushing these uh, policies yeah. forward. Ursula von der Leyen is uh, the unelected leader of the EU. It's incredible yeah. the amount of power that yeah. uh, these uh, and, people have. And a, and a lady we've seen cuddling up, using the right description, cuddling up to the vaccine industry with a uh, loving uh, class with um, the chief executive of Pfizer that we put up a few days ago. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. That it's the, got a fascist basis to it in the, 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 the tightness between these corporations and government and the, yeah. even our government officials and here and in the United States, they're venerating these vaccine companies like they're uh, almost worshiping them, like they've come to save humanity. Uh, and I think the further we get down the road on this, unfortunately, in doing the quote, quote post-mortem, no pun intended, uh, we're going to find that nothing could be further from the truth. Truth, yeah. Well, I thought it would be uh, worthwhile having a look at what Tony Blair had to say about uh, vaccine passports. I think this was in June or so, and see, uh, see how well it has aged, Patrick. So uh, this is what he said in his report, or this is in the report from the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Uh, less risk, more freedom was the title of the report. Restrictions during the pandemic must be as proportionate as possible. There's no need to impose full restrictions on people who we know are at a greatly reduced risk of transmitting COVID-19. Vaccinations have changed this. Their effectiveness at reducing transmission, now proven beyond any doubt, uh, means that different people carry different risks when it comes to spreading the virus. 
Ultimately, the fully vaccinated are much less likely to infect others, approximately up to 50% less likely. Uh, and uh, so the question is, uh, is that true? There's one more here. In this paper, we set out the digital health pass infrastructure that will need to be introduced to enable an individual to prove their vaccine status. This goes beyond the current NHS app. So he's pushing very, very hard to go beyond the uh, current NHS app. But uh, what do you think? Has that aged well? No, it hasn't. And uh, I'd like to see the, the quote science that they base that on. But uh, as Tony has been doing his whole career, he's just kind of making it up as he goes along. He's very skilled at that. But th this preposterous, this idea that the unvaccinated are robbing the vaccinated of their freedoms. Yeah. And, and that's the narrative. That's the sort of thing that, that all these governments are going with. And it is absolutely preposterous. And I hope that uh, people will take a long, hard think about this over the holiday seasons and realize how obscene yeah. uh, this, this, is, this has gotten. And of course, people can challenge Tony Blair because you can get in contact with his uh, foundation. You can call, call them up. You can email them. As we always say, polite is best because that gives the strongest argument. But don't let him sit there wallowing in his uh, millions or possibly billions. Take him up on what he says and challenge him. Um, so uh, maybe we can say welcome to Alex. I see you're on, online there, Alex. Um, what do you think of the, the whole uh, COVID pass infrastructure then? Greetings from a secret location in the Dutch countryside. I'm on the way to the opticians. Otherwise, I would have come up with some slides for you. Um, the infrastructure strikes me as varying from country to country. That's something I think that our uh, viewers need to bear in mind, even within Northwestern Europe, where I'm speaking to you from now. The Netherlands now has an infrastructure in place which is quite severe for uh, proving your vaccine or recovered or recently negatively tested status. Uh, that's known as a 3G model in much of the continent now. Just over the border in Germany, it's equally stringent, but it's a 2G model. The Dutch are now debating 2G. Just south of here in Belgium, it's a different system again. Um, it varies per country, which is the strongest ind indication to me that it is an order from above. Go away, uh, say the globalist or, or uh, order givers to national governments, and see what you can get away with in your national context. So here, for example, there has been longer and better resistance to... Um... And with that... Oh, with that he went. He went. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get Alex back uh, shortly. Uh, but let's just uh, end with this uh, graphic, Patrick. Well, uh, well, this is a nice transition to what we're going to talk about in a minute, but this, it's the war theme here, and, and they're really marshalling this kind of war. Obviously, this is a tongue-in-cheek uh, mo photo montage here. But there's the lovely Ursula von der Leyen, uh, you know, as you say. Uh, she looks uh, like she's in control of lots of people there. She is. She is wearing the, uh, the, the top helmet in, in this story. But uh, so what, and we see Germany at the, at the center of this in so many different ways. Klaus Schwab as well, he also hails uh, from Germany. So we're not making any generalizations there. We're just saying that it is quite interesting uh, that you have the top people pushing this agenda in Europe is coming from what used to be a very liberal country. I mean, West Germany, Germany was always leading Europe in sort of more open society, more liberal. Because of the fear of the past. Because of the yeah. fear of the past. So yeah. everyone's scratching their heads and our, our friends in Germany who we speak to, all of us, have uh, acquaintances there, and they're absolutely shocked. 
how did this happen? What's going on? How, how did this, this turn come so quickly? And uh, it has really shocked a lot of people. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, so let's, uh, let's have a look at this because the Jabs Army uh, is another feature of 2021. Uh, the call for volunteers. Yeah, so the, the, the British government, Boris Johnson, channeling that blitz spirit, and this is the sun running the Jabs Army campaign here. And this isn't us doing the cartoon bubbles. This is actually the sun with Simon Cowell and Boris Johnson there. It is almost a joke uh, when you just look at it from here. But uh, I've got actually, this is the latest here, uh, Xmas Jab Army. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what's on the newsstands pretty much across the board. Yes. So it's just wall-to-wall vaccines, uh, boosters, boosters, vaccines. You go to the newsstand this week, you'll see eight papers, eight, eight headlines saying boost, booster, get your booster, boost army. And it's the, the whole messaging is completely streamlined. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry. I'm sorry. You said it was like a football score, basically. It is true. It's like looking at, at some sort of international game that's been played and each paper's got the same headline with different different words. Uh, David. But in Scotland, we go one stage further. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has volunteered personally to go down and stick a needle in your arm. So uh, that's good. Are you saying that if, if I head up to Scotland uh, in the next couple of days, I could uh, actually and uh, get a, arrange an appointment for Nicola to do the job? You could, you could get, you could, well, allegedly she has volunteered. Now, this is the woman who said that she would open her home to refugees and asylum seekers, and that didn't happen either. So it may just be uh, two minutes of good coverage in the press and uh, no reality, but allegedly she has volunteered to administer injections herself personally and if you turn up at some random um, govan hill based um, vaccination center mike you could be lucky and get nicola sturgeon to personally vaccinate you okay well i think i think the odds of that are, are perhaps unless i can book an actual appointment i think the odds of that are yeah, i think we should <laughs> to, move on from this image yes we should move uh, on. okay uh let's uh let's have a look at june rain then because another feature of 2021 of course uh well we've already talked about this in a, in a sense uh vaccination of children uh but of course uh we're waiting for bated breath uh brian for uh the called vaccinate five to 11 year olds. Uh, and that is expected uh, in the next week or two, actually. Yeah, we reinforced the statement, still no evidence whatsoever that the MHRA has investigated their own vaccine adverse reaction data. Uh, we know there's no substantial trials on children, but they're desperate to help Big Pharma get, get those profits boosted and vaccinate the children. Yes. Uh, now, I was very interested to uh, have a look at how many people actually have been vaccinated in the country. Uh, because if you remember a few weeks ago, I think this was uh, September, was it, that Boris said this, uh, there are 5 million or so people who are eligible for vaccines now who haven't been vaccinated. And the question is, is that a correct number? Uh, well, to find out, you've got to go to this uh, report, which is the weekly national influenza and COVID-19 surveillance report. Now, I, I didn't have a chance, Patrick, to, to look to see whether there was any sign of the flu appearing this winter, uh, but but uh, it's in this document if you want to find out. Um, so this is the week 50 report, which is uh, up to week 49 data, so 16th of December, 2021. And this is what they say. 
Uh, they say the overall vaccine uptake in the population for those with at least one dose was 67.9%. Now, this is for England only, I should say. 62.2% uh, for dose two and 31.4% for dose three. So since they're only, uh, you know, halfway through the uh, the uh, so-called booster uh, campaign, then perhaps that's reasonable. But the breakdown by sex showed vaccine uptake in males was 65.5% and 70.2% in females for dose one. For dose two, vaccine uptake by sex was 59.7% in males and 64.8% in females. And, and so on. So let's uh, just have a look at the at the numbers here and see what we can see about this. So uh, contrary to there only being 5 million people, according to Boris, uh, completely unvaccinated, uh, it's actually quite a, a larger number. So the total number in the uh, cohort for England, they're saying is 62.7 million people. Uh, and they're saying that the total number of people with the first dose is 42.6 million. Now, if we look at the numbers there, we find that uh, older people, people uh, over the age of uh, 60, uh, certainly have a very high uptake, uh, over 90%. Um, but once we get to the under 40s, it starts to drop off very significantly. Now, we're going to uh, remove the uh, under 12s because, of course, under 12s, except in very exceptional circumstances, aren't being jabbed at this point in time. Um, uh, so that takes 8 million off that total. So out of 62 0.7 million, what that says is there's around 50 million um, have been uh, vaccinated, but that leaves 12 that haven't. So that's significantly higher than, than five. And obviously, as you move to the right, it, uh, it gets worse, but the picture is, is largely the same. So it seems that uh, if you're under 40, Patrick, uh, really, you've got, uh, there, there's more, uh, shall we say, hesitancy, but also if you look as as you move to the right, this, the picture gets worse. So that means that uh, uh, once you've had a jab, there seems to be more hesitancy after that as well. Of course, because common sense uh, would dictate to anyone with uh, a modicum of uh, intelligence still active that uh, the vaccine must not work. If you need three in one year for a cold virus, then clearly it doesn't work. So they've been saying it was sold as the miracle panacea, the key to your freedom, yeah. uh, at least for the for the vulnerable, as Matt Hancock used to say. And then that got extended to the general population. And then it was a third dose. And I'm sure there'll be a booster required. Annually by, now. I mean, that's that's been said. That's been openly stated. By Easter. Yeah, but the jab is so good that you need to keep jabbing. So it, clearly the vaccine's don't, don't work. work. Don't so, work. I mean, anyone can see that, but you know, I'm not anyone. Is, is Alex back with us? Are you with chance? us, Alex? I am, and I think this uh, this signal may drop off in a couple of minutes. That seems to be the pattern. So I will just try to squeeze a couple of things in now, and uh, then it'll be, then it'll be Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from me. So the point I was making was it's varying per country. The Netherlands is now surrounded by countries in which you cannot be unjabbed in the healthcare system, but the Netherlands is held, holding out in that regard. So people shouldn't get too caught up with individual measures of liberty. It's just the question of so-called vaccine mandates is per country. It's what they think they can get away with. And over the Christmas break, I'll be trying to keep people at least updated with what's going on by updating these stories we're watching rubric at the bottom of the ukcolumn.org homepage to encourage people a little 
uh, or to give them leads. There is a nearly 200-page report out by the think tank Civitas, which has done some good work in the past. It's entitled Unraveling the COVID State by Jim McConnellog. And he speaks uh, very similar to what Patrick was just saying about the growth of the regulatory state at the beginning of his 200 pages. And he gives plenty of examples. It's uh, just the same idea of what the heck. Let's see what we can get away with. And let's uh, less and less pretend that it is anything to do with law. Um, I have here an interesting story also from Virginia that a hospital there, Fauquier, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R, has been ordered by a judge to allow a patient to be treated by ivermectin on the prescription of their own doctor. They're now being held in contempt of court. Further success uh, coming from various American states now and sub-state jurisdictions in people actually requiring courts to tell the health mandates where to get off. Uh, and a further piece of encouragement is that one of our viewers has started a Telegram channel and uh, platform on both YouTube and BitChute. His name is Rory D. Clark, that's C-L-A-R-K with no E on the end. And he has done a recording of Ian Davis's excellent recent article uh, about the UK new normal dictatorship. He's entitled his video, A Warning to the People of the UK. So you will find that on YouTube and BitChute, but above all on his Telegram channel. And it's an, an encouragement to me because it shows that things that we don't have time to do, in my case, do recordings of very long, important articles, are being taken up by other viewers. So finally, our viewers are replicating our efforts in good ways. And I would say, go ye and do likewise over the Christmas and New Year break. Okay, Alex, thank you. Thank you very much for that. So uh, you're going to jump off at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yes, well, I will, and I'll just say uh, in, in a final thing that if if you uh, keep watching the main part of the uh, UK, UKcolumn.org homepage, at least one part of a long discussion with my father will come out there over the Christmas break on the important theme of literacy, uh, which turns people off sometimes. But what it means is how we educate ourselves and don't wait for the state to do it for us. And I think that's going to be a key theme in the coming year, educating ourselves. So look out for a three-parter on literacy. Brilliant. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, well, I wanted to just move on from here and um, um, point out that really the NHS has been completely dismantled now. It's not there to provide any form of health provision. It's there to provide jabs. Uh, that is the focus. Uh, the statement by the uh, NHS England chief executive was that everything would be shifted so the NHS is simply jab focused. Well, what happens when our NHS abandons its uh, role to treat sick people? This occurred in a car park in uh, Cornwall yesterday. Uh, one of our viewers was present. Uh, basically, an old lady fell over. She fell to the ground. It's almost certain she broke her hip. And she then had to lie on the ground for, we believe, over four hours waiting for an ambulance. And the rub is that there was a doctor's surgery nearby, but they refused to help. If you just click the clicker, it's very difficult to see, but you on the ground, oh, sorry, we just come back to that. On the ground, uh, there's a white, actually that's silver, and that is the lady lying on the ground, we believe, um, having been given a thermal space survival type blanket, which have got a sort of aluminium foil. So she lay on the ground, and I'm going to say for a minimum of four hours in the cold, no ambulance and nearby doctors being paid a fortune, of course, by the government to give jabs if they don't want to get involved. So utterly sickening behaviour. 
And this is happening to many people across the country. They are being denied NHS treatment for which they're paying their taxes for. And if we move on to the next, we've got a little video clip here, which was sent to us. Um, it's about queues of people in Fleetwood um, and uh, they're waiting for booster jabs. And uh, the lady with the camera attempted to speak to some of them and say, do you know about the vaccine adverse reactions? It's a very short clip, but just have a look at uh, what happened. from the jab people are dying from it more people survive covid than survive the jab more people have died from co from the jab have you not heard about it the the um government gov uk yellow card scheme the gov uk yellow card scheme you're not bothered if, you, if you're taking a massive risk I'm not spreading anything. Well, I don't think you've got informed consent. I don't think you've really been informed about the, all the implications of the jab. Well, I hope you survive it. Fox News, over and out. So fascinating little clip. And if you couldn't hear the sort of reply that uh, this lady was getting from the crowd when she mentions the government's own yellow card vaccine adverse reaction data, uh, people there were saying, we don't want to know about that. We're here to get jabbed. So the minds of these people utterly gone. And of course, this is the result of the applied propaganda from the British government applied psychology built up by the behavioural insights team and used through SAGE and uh, SPY-B, as um, Desmond Swain, the MP, was pointing out. Um, very worrying state of affairs. And, and also, I just might add, if you look at the media, you see images of long queues, queues into football stadiums, queues into special uh, pop-up vaccination yep. centres. So they're trying to create this idea that you're missing out on something, that there's a limited supply uh, scarcity, and so this is coming straight out of the uh, behavioral insights, the uh, weaponization of applied behavioral psychology. Yeah, absolutely. But just to follow on on the uh, the NHS, one thing I'll say: you're probably going to see more of this scaling down of services, and they're going to want to offload uh, basic services onto pharmacies. That will be the next move. So, uh, flu shots, birth control, all of these, or or anything, uh, repeat prescriptions. To, to avoid the GP, uh, to avoid the doctor, yep. to avoid the NHS. So they're basically offloading that onto who knows, pri the private sector uh, ostensibly. Yep. So that, that's the next, I think, move that's, that you'll see more of uh, with the NHS as it becomes a, it seems like it used to be a COVID only service. Now it's a vaccine only service. Yeah, agree with that. David. Yes, and this is this is one of the things where you have massive state organisations. You tend to pay more and more tax for less and less actual service, uh, less and less healthcare. If you're looking at the police service, less and less actual property protection and protection of the individual. Um, and what we'll see coming in is it will be called privatisation. I'm sure. I don't know that that's a very accurate term. I think corporatisation might be a better way of describing it. 
looking back at uh, the history of uh, healthcare in the United States, which is now United States, which is now vastly expensive and insurance based, when it was actually private, I came across a bill the other day. Uh, seven days nursing care, seven days in the hospital, and uh, a day in a delivery suite to have a baby. And if you did the calculation and converted it to dollars and nineteen fifty dollars into present day pounds, uh, it was fifteen hundred quid. So it was quite affordable for most people. Healthcare was within the reach of the ordinary family. It's no longer that way in in the United States, and uh, in in Britain we're paying vast taxes uh, and we're not getting the healthcare. Um, it won't be privatized, but it might be corporatized. I just want to add to what David said, really important point, what he pointed out about America is so, is so true. But what, what else they had in the 1950s and 60s was the church played a massive role. A lot of the top hospitals and the top you know, uh, surgeries and so forth were run by uh, church, church organizations. And so there was a huge charity aspect to healthcare that seemed to fill that gap and do it to quite a high standard as well. So, and that's that's completely disappearing. Uh, it almost effectively has disappeared in recent decades, but yeah. um, it's a totally different landscape. Now. A lot more to talk about the NHS next year. Right, well, that takes us then to uh, Amazon's hot new releases, uh, Patrick. Well, this is interesting. This is interesting. This is, uh, these are the top Christmas single releases here. And in uh, number one is a song called We Are the 99%. It's an anti-lockdown song. It's a pro-freedom song, and it's uh, done by activists. And uh, this is, I believe, uh, the people who are running the Light newspaper as well uh, involved in that, Darren, uh, from the Light. He's the lead singer there. And it topped Elton John uh, and Ed Sheeran. It's, it's basically, I mean, you could go through this one. You can see all the different people, Gary Barlow, Adele, um, this single somehow has gone under the radar and gone viral and has beaten all of these top recording acts, Nick Fly, you name it. You can see them going, creeping up to number two and three, and then they sort of fade away. Even ABBA, it's up to ABBA's uh, Christmas single uh, release here, a retrospective single, whatever. It's an incredible thing. So I, I don't know how this has managed to happen. I think it's been going through Telegram and through social media. Uh, on Twitter, and it's just word of mouth, and people are downloading this song. And um, this is what they're chanting at all the major rallies, oh. the ones where we attended in, in, in London as well. It's the same marching song um, that, they're, that they're putting on this, this track that's incredible. Well, let's listen to a little of it. This is the official video. Yeah, we'll take a look. Here's a clip. Uh, we are the 99% by the Daz Band. Listen to this. You can stick your grey reset, cause the people they don't know ya. Stick your grey reset up your ass. Sing it, we are 99%. Okay. It's, well, yeah. <laughs> well, we got we got to keep a sense of humour because uh, this is this is tough stuff we're dealing with. So I think it's utterly brilliant. People are still laughing, joking, and producing music, particularly if it gets to number one. It's irreverent. It's a really irreverent pub song. Uh, so, but go to Amazon Music. I would say we told our listeners on the Sunday Wire to go download it, and thousands of people downloaded it. 
yeah. and to help uh, everyone's helping to sort of chip in 79p so it's a challenge to everybody if you support the message of that song you you like what you hear go ahead and download that thing and keep it number one this christmas ahead of elton john uh and ed sheeran especially been, ahead of elton john especially yeah who's doing vaccine psas but that's another story but um, we are the 99%. That's the name of the track. Okay, so for the last time this year then, if you uh, like what the UK Column is doing and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org slash community. And if you're watching uh, the UK Column News or uh, reading our material uh, for free, then we do need your financial support. So uh, any support you can give us would be very much appreciated. Also uh, share our material on the various platforms and from the website as well, of course. Um, and, uh, well, where does this take us, Brian? Well, it, it's going to take us to an update on the David Noakes uh, crowdfunder. Uh, we produced a little video clip. Uh, it's audio only for the first couple of seconds, so people are listening in. The, uh, uh, sorry, there'll, there'll be a, a pause at the beginning. Um, but uh, have a look at this little clip. We think you'll enjoy it. So I'm here in a location in uh, Cornwall with David Noakes. David, I'm really delighted to be with you tonight and I'm delighted that you are out of prison. Tell us what happened. Well, thanks to you, we were able to get a really good lawyer because your fundraising was, raising was so successful and the lawyer managed to get me out on bail almost immediately. And that was, as a result, of your funding which was completely successful so now I just have to wait now I'm on bail just have to wait until the end of February to hear the verdict which my lawyers are saying they expect to be um, that I will be let go free um, so you have been fantastic it has worked and I am in Cornwall now thank you so much I do have to carry out my bail in France, but I have a nice house to live in, which someone has lent me one room, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to being free properly. Uh, Lynn, you're with David. What would you like to say to people today? I would just like to say, I'm going to cry. I'd just like to say thank you to everybody that's helped us out. If it wasn't for you guys, we'd both be still in France, in the, in in the prison. I mean, you guys are just amazing. I just can't believe that you've been so kind. And if it wasn't for you, we both wouldn't be here in England. So thank you so much. Thank you. So a very poignant little clip. It was wonderful to see both of them uh, in Cornwall. Unfortunately, it's David's mother's funeral uh, today. That was one of the key reasons that he was released from the French uh, prison. Uh, but as he said, he's going to be able to go back uh, on bail and live in a comfortable house until uh, the next part of the trial decision, which is towards the end of February. He's very optimistic that charges are going to be dropped, but he still then needs to fight possible charges coming from the Swiss. So um, basically, David Noakes is persecuted and persecuted 
uh, principally by the leadership of the MHRA, which started all the proceedings against him. So against what we've just seen and uh, the suffering of those two in French prisons has been quite astonishing. Let's just pop on screen uh, this little bit that we had from the MHRA a couple of days ago, where we pointed out that in an FOI response, um, the uh, MHRA just said that it didn't have £600 to investigate the deaths which have occurred as a result of vaccine adverse reactions. And uh, this is despite the fact that they're sitting on some £15 million at the moment, which they don't know how to spend. So David notes Linthire been through the prison system. They are hammered for trying to help people with cancer. Meanwhile, the MHRA sits and literally laughs at the British public as it refuses to investigate 1,314,639 vaccine adverse reactions and 1,822 deaths. Um, difficult to know what to say, David, on this, but it's wonderful to see uh, David out. And I'm sure the next couple of months are going to give him a big boost. And uh, hopefully in the near future, he's going to be free and attention can then be properly refocused on uh, MHRA and its relationship with global pharmaceutical industry. When you have someone who's been targeted in the way that David Noakes has been targeted, their priority, their family's priority, um, must be their survival. Uh, you have to first weather the storm. Um, uh, and uh, they must be completely focused on that, and we have to support them in that. And it's delight. It's 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 a delight to see them um, in uh, in England, and um, and feeling optimistic. Uh, that that was that that little bit of video did 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 our hearts good to watch. Um, and for the rest of us, um, yes, we have to focus on the lies that are being told. We live in a society based on lies and we have to fight them one lie at a time. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. So, so well, the, we, we're saying a big thank you to, there to everybody that participated in that crowdfunder. Uh, David and Lynn were talking to the, the generous people that have donated in the first instance. We'd like to also say we'd like to thank the kind people who've sent us a lot of Christmas cards and gifts. And uh, normally we put a few up on screen. I can't do that. So what I'm going to do is hold up. This is the pile of uh, pile of well, cards. Part of it, because it's a well, part of it. You're absolutely right, Mike. This is some of the cards that have been sent through to us, and uh, this is a huge boost. And we'd like to say thank you uh, to everyone who's taken the trouble to do that. We do appreciate it. Um, okay, now let's uh, let's move on to uh, another pick from me for the year, which of course is the uh, online safety bill. Uh, so here's Oliver Dowden. Uh, as a coalition of the world's leading democracies and technological powers, we want to forge a compelling vision uh, of how tech should support and enhance open and demo uh, democratic societies in the digital age. This was him speaking to the G7. Um, and... Uh, uh, so the G7 uh, produced a statement on uh, the issue. They said uh, earlier in the year, they said uh, our collective recovery from COVID-19 must be rooted in a desire to build back better with more productive and resilient global economy. Uh, with, a digital, with digital technology at its heart, we have therefore decided to place the needs of open democratic societies at the center of techno the technology debate and work together towards trusted 
values-driven digital ecosystem. I'm tripping over these words because there's such a load of nonsense. But trust, of course, right at this. We just got to trust the government. Uh, we, there's no need to do anything else. Uh, we note that despite some positive steps in technological improvement, harmful content and activity remains widespread online. This undermines our democratic values, risks the physical safety and well-being of children, reduces online participation, and diminishes trust, that word again, in the online environment. So uh, my point here is that this, although the UK is leading this policy area at the moment, we are the uh, closest country to have actual legislation in place. Um, this is not just a UK agenda. It is a G7 agenda, which means West. So US, EU, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and uh, one of the main reasons uh, that they are so keen uh, to push ahead with this, Patrick, is that they cannot deal with the opposition that there is to what they're doing at the moment. And I'm talking about uh, Great Reset, Green New Deal, not just COVID, but actually a much broader policy agenda that's at work. No, they've spun it absolutely backwards, Mike. It's the, it's the truth that's circulating uncontrolled online that is damaging the trust in corrupt government institutions. That's the real uh, phenomenon that's happening. And Oliver Dowden and others have uh, successfully tried to spin that into its inverse form. But we know what the issue is, and they can't control the information and analysis. They can't control independent media, and they want more tools to do that. They want to be more repressive in policing speech and discourse as to what's allowable, what's not, what's true, what's not. More fact checkers, more power from government, etc. Uh, and so just to close this uh, little section, I just want to remind everybody of the four key pieces of legislation that are in progress or done. Covert Human Intelligence Criminal Conduct Act that allows the government to commit, or government agents to commit illegal acts when it suits them. Police Crime and Sentencing Courts Bill, uh, Online Safety Bill, and the Counter State Threats Bill. We all need to be watching these very, very closely and, uh, and opposing them uh, to the best of our ability. Now, where does that take us? War and Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and this, uh, this saga continues and the rhetoric continues to build. So uh, the mail this morning saying Ukrainian soldier is killed by Russian separatist mortar uh, attack as tensions mount over Putin's troop buildup at the border and possible invasion. And if you've been listening to the news over the last couple of weeks or watching, reading the newspapers or watching the TV news, uh, you'll have seen leaders from all across the G7 nations all saying exactly the same words. This, of course, is the rapid response mechanism in action exactly the same words that if Russia attempts to uh, invade Ukraine, Russia will be uh, extremely sorry and, and, and very uh, key words. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, Patrick, we had Biden saying that he was not prepared to accept Vladimir Putin's red lines on Ukraine, um, despite the fact that the United States made promises to Russia with respect to Ukraine and in fact, the other former Soviet states. Look, the, the, the Daily Mail article is absolute intentional propaganda, and it's designed to sort of advance this war narrative. Pe people on both sides, on, on the Ukrainian side and on the eastern Donbass side, have died from mortar attacks, from missiles, from, from gunfire, tank fire, everything. For the last how many years now? We're going on seven years. So the, the, they're spinning this like it's something new and then making it like anybody on the Donbass side, Eastern Ukraine side, is, a Ru is Russia by proxy, a Russian separatist, 
It's absolute propaganda. They're trying to advance a war narrative because that project is absolutely failing. The project that began with the Maidan coup, which was orchestrated yes. by Western countries, it's absolutely stalled. It's failing, and they're losing their window of opportunity to do something, to, I don't know, draw uh, Russia into a war, uh, something like that. Who knows? But they're, they're losing their opportunity because the longer this, this goes, the more separated Eastern Ukraine gets from Western Ukraine, and the more independent Crimea becomes. And yeah. that is absolutely going to um, disrupt any pl long-term plans that I think... And the more unstable the EU becomes. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, a little later in the program, David's going to give us predictions for, uh, for what he thinks is going to happen in this area. Uh, but before we get to that, let's just bring Maria Zakharova on screen, who's, of course, the Russian Foreign Affairs spokeswoman. Uh, and very upset uh, as Russia continues to be in this. NATO countries are ramping up the delivery of weapons to Ukraine and training its servicemen. The U.S. has rendered Ukraine military assistance worth $2.5 billion since 2014, including over $400 million this year. Uh, and then just yesterday, we had uh, uh, NATO um, Jens Stoltenberg meeting uh, with the president of uh, Ukraine uh, because, you know, NATO would like nothing better than to see Ukraine join. And of course, they push the same rhetoric once again. All countries have the right to choose their own security arrangements. They're making decisions with paper, paper scissors. Paper, rock, paper, scissor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. Indeed. So, so anyway, as I say, we'll, we'll hear from David in a, in a minute or two uh, what, what he thinks uh, is going to happen uh, in the uh, coming months and uh, course of next year. But before we get to that, David, Let's bring, bring Geronimo on screen. Well, I, I wanted to just finish on, on this one for a, a, a review of the past year because it's kind of symptomatic of what's happened in Britain. Because here you had uh, some questionable testing. I condemned this poor animal. Um, the owner of the animal um, fought back and did other and, and, and argued a, a different case and uh, took the matter to court. And eventually the, the goon squad descended. Um, people came with masks and hazmat suits and chased the poor animal around the field and dragged it off uh, and, and they killed it. And then when they subsequently did um, testing on tissue samples, couldn't find any trace of the TB that they had alleged was present. Now, the government has put out uh, a statement on this and say this 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 doesn't matter. We had a positive test, uh, that was enough. TB's uh, bovine uh, tuberculosis is very severe, and um, the farming community are right behind um, uh, killing Geronimo, um, and the owner is looking at suing them. Um, so here we have um, inaccurate testing. Uh, quite possibly inaccurate testing. We have arrogant uh, scientists unwilling to uh, engage in any, any debate. Uh, we have authoritarian government action based on the, the science. Uh, and we have error and regret, and uh, it's going to all end up in court at the end of the day. Um, Geronimo seems to be a bit of a metaphor for the entire country. And in a funny kind of way, we're all Geronimo now. That's true. Quite poor, poor animal. Poor animal, right? Okay. Well, look, let's let's move on to to what we think is going to happen uh, next year. And I just wanted to start with this article from the Evening Standard uh, from Anne McElvoy. Uh, 
the unvaccinated have become a lethal liability we can ill afford. And I'm not going to go into the... I mean, yes, David, you're laughing. Uh, but, the word but, Geronimo came into yeah. my mind the moment you well, read that headline, Mike. Isn't that just an incredible headline? Now, I'm not going to go into what she actually says uh, because it's not worth reading. But but the, the headline sums it up very well. I think it's extremely dangerous headline. Um, but uh, the point is, Patrick, as time goes on, the 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 rhetoric and the narrative from people like this is becoming more and more extreme, uh, and yet when we listen to Mariana Spring and the likes of this from the BBC, we're being told that it's uh, people that are anti-lockdown or anti-vaccination or so on that are becoming the extremists. But I'm looking at an extremist there. Well, you're also looking at someone who's slipping from cultural relevance. Maybe they were uh, somebody who people listened to years ago, but to make statements like this almost seems like she's trying to grab the headlines by taking a controversial stance. But really what she's doing is uh, revealing her uh, totalitarian tendencies here. But uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty sad. Uh, but, but, we, but she's not the only person making comments like this, David, and I think we're going to see much more of this over the next uh, 12 months. Oh, absolutely. And the reason, well, the, the reason I was laughing is it's laughable. And, and this, is, this is one of the weapons that we have. I, I, I had to take my car in to get some service uh, um, attention the other day. And as I was picking it up, um, the, the young girl who was giving me the keys back was squeezing the keys out of a little plastic bag so that her hands wouldn't touch the keys and I would be, um, you know, killed by her nasty COVIDness. And I said, it's, it's okay, don't bother. I'm, I'm convinced you're not a biohazard. And one of our colleagues in the back of the room shouted, don't be so sure. And we all had a good laugh. And you could feel the whole, the whole atmosphere lifted and everyone started to behave normally again. Laughter's our friend. Yes. Any thoughts? Well, uh, I've been saying this for some time, actually. And uh, hence a UK column Christmas news. Uh, indeed. Um, so where does that take us? Uh, that takes us to uh, a prediction on uh, immunity passports. So here we go, uh, vaccine passports. I'm going to suggest that maybe I'm a bit being a bit uh, pessimistic in the in terms of the time skills, but I'm going to suggest that in the not too distant future, David, we are going to see uh, pa vaccine passports actually being linked with the notion of uh, central bank digital currencies. So I'm putting that forward as a prediction. Maybe that's not a prediction for 2022, uh, but but not long after that, I think. Any thoughts? And unless you have the mark of the beast, you shall not be allowed to trade or exactly. buy or sell. Is, yes. that, is that what you're suggesting? Exactly. <laughs> you, might be, you might be right. Any thoughts? Well, it's, it certainly looks like it's heading in that direction in some other countries. Um, so, I mean, the one thing you can definitely expect if you're going to make any predictions or try to look in your crystal ball is that the establishment has no other option than to double down with the, the agenda that they're pursuing. Because to, to, to back off now means they're going to have to disavow everything that they've done before and basically yeah. fall on their sword. And we know one thing that today's modern day politicians and bureaucrats, the one thing they can never do is admit that they were ever horribly wrong and to damage their future earning potential in whatever industries they're hoping to parachute into after they're done with their, quote, public service. 
So they're absolutely compelled to move forward, to march ahead on this. So I think yeah. people prepare, I would say prepare, hope for the best, prepare for the worst is, is the best strategy, I think. Okay. Uh, well, David, I'm going to help you out with your Russia prediction. I just wanted to do a little bit of a lead in. I'm afraid it's going back in time. But the most scary video clip for me uh, this year was the interview with uh, the man running UK's armed forces now, Admiral Bradikin. Uh, let's have a look at that interview clip again and see what sort of man is in control. First of all, I do love your office. Did you choose it to make it as like being on a ship as possible without actually being on one? So uh, I suppose we're lucky. So um, this is a fantastic place to base a Navy headquarters. So um, we're at the top of the harbour. We're on Whale Island. The island was created by the excavation of Portsmouth Harbour. Uh, and so it seems a suitable place to have a Navy headquarters. And it's fantastic to have large windows and it's great for me to be able to look out and see our ships. Uh, I think it's less good for our ship CEOs to know that <laughs> they're, they're, they're under the gaze of the, of the headquarters. But no, it's, uh, we're, we're lucky. Yeah. Do you miss being on board a ship? I do. I, I, because um, I think for most of us, your first 10 years are intimately on board ship. You then tend to have a mixture the next 10 years. And then you tend to be a bit further away from the bridge in, your, in, in, in the following 10 years, if that's an easy way of describing it. And there's a comfort, it's, it's, in a way it's reassuring that when you go back to a ship, and um, whether it's the ladders or it's the food or it's the smell, uh, personally, I don't like going to ships and not, uh, not going up to the bridge. Yeah. Um, and I still can't understand the engineering community that can just descend into the engine rooms uh, and you chat to the chefs and they've got the and you know what's the latest buzz and so on I think that's probably never changed I love this uh, this is a brilliant graphic and to me this describes the world that we're actually in which is a world dominated by the sea and the different colors represent the different trades that go around the world on the sea um, let's just I'll finish by referring back to this map again, and here's little old UK here. How, how do you cope with being a relatively small navy faced with immense powers in East, in China and America? So, so, so we have the good fortune of being able to then blend our navy with these other navies so that you can multiply your effect around the world. Well, there you have it. I, I just think, I just think uh, that man's delivery, unbelievable. And I think, David, the Russians are truly quaking in their boots as he admires the colours on his maps. The view out the window, which we saw briefly, we'll pop it back on screen because, of course, what are you not seeing? Any operational ships? Uh, there's a training, I'm being a bit naughty calling it a hulk, but there's a training hulk in the foreground covered in rust. Uh, uh, we've got an auxiliary in the background, and one of the other views was of our Type 45s, which of course can't go to sea because the water's too warm and the engines don't work. Uh, so my prediction is that uh, if this man stays in charge, we're going to see further decline in the Royal Navy, 
Um, are the Russians going to be terrified? I don't think so. It was a strange performance. I'll grant you that. Um, I don't think it's going to be terrifying any Russians. And this is another example of the intellectual collapse of the West. It, it's not making any sense. The narratives that are coming from those who are meant to know no longer make any sense. You compare it with what's happening in, in Russia or China, there's, there's at least some rationality left. Um, meanwhile, we're believing a lot of myths a lot of the time. Yes. Okay, where does that take us? Uh, David, uh, your predictions then on Russia. S sorry, David, your okay. predictions on Russia. Well, okay, Russia. I've um, got a couple of slides here. First, uh, from Stars and Stripes, the uh, uh, patriotic and flag-waving newspaper of the American military, um, writes, how the US military could mobilise if Russia invades Ukraine. Um, this NATO force was built for just this kind of crisis, says John R. Denny, European security expert at the US Army War College. It's a force representative of many of the Allies, so not to use it now, frankly, risks undermining NATO solidarity. So the whole article, which is well worth a read, is very um, belligerent. We've got the troops on the ground, it's not like 2014, we've got armour, we've got an American armoured brigade there. Um, we need to be mobilising against the nasty Russians. Meanwhile, the military times writes, uh, Russia is preparing to attack Ukraine by late January, the Ukraine Defence Intelligence Agency chief says. Uh, so he talks about 92,000 troops massed around Ukraine's borders. Um, and this is an interview uh, with the uh, Ukrainian De Intelligence uh, Agency chief who says any such attack would first follow a series of psychological operations currently underway designed to destabilise Ukraine and undermine its ability to fight, said uh, Budanov, um, speaking through an interpreter. They want to form, uh, foment unrest through protests and meetings that show that people are against the government. So he's saying that the Russians are behind any internal dispute. That's an interesting narrative that we've seen replicated all across the West, including in the United States. Meanwhile, the Royal United Services Institute, um, they've had a bit of a, a, a bit of a road to Damascus moment. Russia versus, versus Ukraine, flaws in Western grey zone theories, uh, writes Sam uh, Cranny Evans uh, in November. Now, um, he points out that what's happening in, uh, in and around Ukraine, the Russian forces that are building up, are very conventional. Um, and also notes that for all the bold words promising grave consequences should Russian troops enter the Ukraine, there is little sign that NATO actually possesses the will or the means to rebuff a Russian incursion. Um, and he then goes on to discuss something that the, the Russi have been pushing very hard for many years, the hybrid model, hybrid warfare, right? There's no such thing as peace or war, everything's a mixture of the two. Uh, and he's saying, well, there's dangers in the hybrid model. Um, that, um, and he quotes our friend, uh, former UK chief of the general staff, General Sir Nick Carter, 
Uh, he warned in 2018 that cyber attacks on military and civilian infrastructure were one of the biggest threats posed by Russia and other hostile states. Um, so they, the, the Western view has been that uh, we don't need so much concentration on conventional weapons, tanks and artillery and all that old-fashioned stuff, aircraft. What we need is, is this hybrid warfare, this grey zone warfare, so that we can dominate these other countries without ever firing a weapon. And uh, this report in Russia is rather suggesting that that's been um, shown to be false. It concludes, if we are to take the Russian... Russia... If we were to take Russia seriously as a threat, there needs to be an understanding that deterrence will require adaptions to risk appetites and expected outcomes. Russia's actions around Ukraine indicate that it might be seeking to compel either Ukraine or NATO to agree to a change in the status quo in Europe by accepting a new division of the continent into spheres of influence. And if Moscow chooses to do this, it is likely to be accomplished with soldiers in um, sorry, it is unlikely to be accomplished with soldiers in unmarked uniforms or cyber attacks led by Russia's intelligence agency. It will be achieved through the artillery tubes and targeting systems of the First Guards Tank Army or some other formation that is well placed to conduct conventional operations. It stands to reason that NATO should prioritise the latter outcome um, of Russian foreign policy in its public discourse before it countenances the nuance tactics that are the centre of the current hybrid warfare theories. So what this is saying is, is Russia's calling, calling bullshit on the entire policy that um, the Ministry of Defence and in fact the whole Western defence establishment has been busy following for the last decade. Um, everything that General Sir Nick Carter ever said was down this line of hybrid warfare, the grey zone between peace and war, and the pennies dropping every time the Russians move a tank anywhere inside Russia that, that's on the right half of the country to be viewed as being on the borders of the Ukraine, the pennies dropping that this won't hack it, that what will ultimately matter is conventional military might. So my prediction in Russia is that what we're going to see is a return to old-fashioned military build-up, old-fashioned sabre-rattling, and perhaps um, conventional, at some point in the future, conventional warfare. But the concentration on, on hybrid threats, on, uh, on cyber threats, and on influencing one another's societies as a, as a substitute for warfare will be seen to be um, the, uh, the, the, the fevered imagination of uh, an intellectually failing Western elite that it, that it is. Um, and uh, are we going to apologise for the disgraceful language, or are you? It is a game. BS, it is a game. It's a card game. Oh right. You know, okay. When you when, when you when you put when you put cards down and you say what they are, but you don't show them, and if someone thinks you're lying, they they call the name of the game. So okay. as it's a, as it's a straightforward card game, I thought I thought that one might that that might have sneaked under the uh, very <laughs> severe UK column, uh, no swearing ban. I see that I was wrong, and I apologise. As well as no need. That's that's perfectly fine. Okay, where does that take us then? Uh, it takes us to. Inflation, David, and what are your predictions 
uh, for inflation for 2022. I know what mine are. Yes, yes, there's going to be some. Um, so this, this, first, this first slide here is from the US Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, total inflation, they've currently measured about 6.3%. That's the red bar. More on that later. Energy inflation, 33.3%. So don't be uh, an American trying to fill a car, or indeed a Brit trying to fill a car or heat a house. Um, is that something to do with um, Greta Thunberg and the Green Revolution? Maybe it is. Um, now, uh, the next slide, I, I want to just use one illustration of um, another th another theme that I've, I've touched on here. The, the lack of any connectivity between the people who are allegedly running um, the, the Western world and the events that they are meant to be directing. Um, and, and focusing here on inflation and central bank policy, the Mises Institute have done this piece on uh, the Phillips curve, uh, saying read the fine print. Um, it, it says the Federal Reserve's dual mandate is the Phillips curve and quotes a, a Fed uh, gentleman here say we have to balance those two goals, the two goals being uh, low inflation and low uh, unemployment um, when they are in tension as they are right now. So the Phillips curve is the alleged um, correlation between un unemployment and inflation. Um, so we've got here a graph from um, the Fed. This is from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Um, and a little piece understanding the Phillips curve. And you see here that there's a, a spread of dots and there's a curve being fitted to it. This is the Phillips curve. And it says wage inflation and unemployment. So if you've got low unemployment, you've got high wage inflation and vice versa. And that's the link that they're suggesting exists. And that's the core of the Fed um, requirement, the dual requirement to balance these two issues of, of inflation and, uh, and unemployment and, and, and manage the economy. Now, this Phillips curve was based on information produced up with data that ended, I think, in 1913 and started about 1860. So it's rather elderly. Um, if we look at the more recent data, it looks a bit different, right? It's just a field of dots. There is no link. There is no, there is no correlation. So they're, they're one of the basic premises they're working on just doesn't exist. Um, and like so many of these things, the basic underpinning ideas that are that the, the, the great and the good, the, the wise men at places like the Fed and the Bank of England uh, are, are meant to be using to steer uh, the economy, that underpin the models that they constantly refer to, uh, to, to give them information on how to, how to proceed. These are, these are just wrong. Um, and then obviously the data is obviously also quite frequently wrong. So we go here to, to John Williams' um, shadow government statistics. He still calculates the uh, inflation rate based on, for the United States, based on the methods used in 1990, which is the upper blue line. So we see here the official uh, red line, um, official uh, inflation level is just over 6%. Uh, but uh, if it was calculated, still in the way it was calculated in 1990, it would be over 10%. So the, the, the situation is already much worse. And, and finally, um, and to, to reflect on the stunning and brave uh, increase in uh, interest rates, 
um, which which took the whole financial world by surprise, apparently, from the Bank of England, where they increased the interest rate a mighty 0.15%, from 0.1% to 0.25%. We must remember what real interest rate is. The real interest rate is the nominal interest rate minus inflation. So real interest rates are still hugely negative, Yeah. right? So 0.15% makes no difference to anything. So... The, the the point I've got, I'm making here is that the, the levers which they're using to control the economy are not connected to anything. The central banks will solemnly pull these levers and describe what will then happen. And nothing that they are not in control of anything. Inflation is galloping away. It may well continue. And the response um, will be incoherent and it will be panic driven. We are in a situation where there's never been this amount of government money generation uh, in the history of the world, and it's across all the Western economies. Uh, so there's no sound money left anywhere. Um, and the, the government decision is that they are going to prevent any sort of major downturn. They are going to eliminate the boom and bust cycle uh, by their wise stewardship of the economy, which means more money printing, because that's the only, the only tool they have. So my my prediction, yes, more inflation and then incoherent responses by the government, by the central banks, followed by more inflation, followed by more of the same. And ultimately, it's to the soundness of the money that we have to look with concerned eyes. Uh, I think that's right. And as I was saying on the news programme a uh, day or two ago, uh, David, the number of uh, mainstream media articles that are starting to use the hyperinflation word um, you know, normalizing the idea for the general public. I think that's that's a pretty uh, reasonable prediction. Uh, have you got a prediction for 2022? Uh, well, nothing substantial or positive uh, per se, but I will predict uh, a sort of superficial political prediction that uh, Joe Biden will be uh, decommissioned um, at some point in 2022, probably within the first six months. Actually, originally right. I said Easter, and we got very generous odds from the uh, the bookie on that. But um, but it could be yeah within the the first uh, six months of 2022. So there's going to be great sadness in the world when that happens, Patrick. No, great it'll sad. be cheer and adulation because uh, even the Democrats are throwing him under the bus, poor Joe. Uh, but uh, it, this will sort of open the door for another person to enter politics, maybe who wasn't so successful in previous Not elections, uh, who could very well become the first female president. Uh, we're talking about uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So she might find her way back in there somehow. Uh, we, we don't know, but yeah, there'll definitely be a changing of the guards or uh, in the royal succession, as it were, of the Democratic uh, Party ahead of the 2022 midterms. They need to make the change before the midterm election. Right. Otherwise, they risk losing the House, and that will be a sea change in terms of uh, U.S politics uh, for the next uh, two or three years. Uh, and Hillary would have a look in because uh, Kamala Harris has basically done herself out of a job, so she could be decommissioned as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and But the vice president's role is a an appointment. Yeah, yeah. So so that, that, that could actually happen. Kamala could go first before Joe, which is quite, that's the way I would, I would say. Wow. But the, the Democrats are very much in the line of succession. And room for our old friend Barack Obama. 
uh, I wouldn't count him out. He's more or less running uh, the White House policy at the moment. So um, somehow, I don't know, he'll find his way in. Maybe via his wife, who knows? I don't know, anything can happen. It's an absolute circus right now. Ne never in history have, have the sitting party of the sitting president are scheming to get rid of their president in midstream because no one can envision an 84-year-old or 86-year-old Joe Biden in his second term. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's not going to happen. Not yeah. yeah. Uh, David, he's smiling. Hillary. Hillary's the Hillary's the woman, right? You, you can get rid of Kamala. She's she's bad news. No, no one likes Kamala Harris, right? But you got to have a woman because reasons. Hillary has already been on air, sobbing her way through, reading her victory speech from twenty sixteen. We, we, we did show that uh, on on. Uh... On, I think it was Friday week ago's program. So if anybody wants to see that, uh, I think you go back Friday week, you'll see you'll see an excerpt from that. It was spectacular, it was David. Yes. It, it was spectacular. I, I think she's auditioning, right? Get rid of Kamala, get Hillary in, and then we can have the Clinton presidency that should always have been if it wasn't for that pesky Donald Trump. Yes. Well, let's hope Hillary's COVID cough doesn't come back because that could really spoil her delivery. That could spoil her delivery, absolutely. Now, uh, another prediction for me now, and uh, well, it's an easy one, uh, but we're going to start off looking back to, uh, I think this was April or so, wasn't it? Chatham House published this uh, website, Farscape, a journey through London over the next 100 years. And they were talking about uh, a sustainable future. This is all Green New Deal stuff and what's going to happen in the future. Uh, to our cities because the city's agenda hasn't gone away. It's absolutely a major part of uh, pushing through the uh, the various uh, uh, policies uh, at the moment. Uh, and so, you know, the first thing that we see uh, or that we were seeing with uh, with Futurescape was was uh, the removal of cars and so on. Uh, and uh, well, here we go. Here's the transformation of Piccadilly Circus, for example. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a drone-led world with all our deliveries happening by with small autonomous vehicles uh, and all this kind of thing. So as we run through this, um, <clears throat> you can see the, uh, the future that, uh, the, uh, th that the Build Back Better agenda is going to bring us. Um, and uh, it, what, a f what a future it is. We're going to have rivers running through the streets, Patrick. But the thing that re that's really striking about this, in my opinion, uh, is the complete lack of people. Um, there, there are no people in any of this. No, no bustling. Uh, we, of course, yeah. uh, uh, will not be eating real meat. We'll be eating protein, which has been made in a factory, uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, eventually we get to uh, uh, one world religions and so on uh, as, as we go through this. But, uh, you know, no bustling streets at all. But why is the London Black Cab uh, Drivers Union not up in arms already? They should be leading the charge against uh, the Great Reset because they're not really factored into this, are I've they? I've never heard about it because, of yeah. course, the mainstream media not telling the population what it is. So here, here it's, as I said, it's not much of a prediction because it's basically given to me. And actually, uh, Dave, it was David that uh, first tipped the UK column viewers off to this whole thing. But I saw this uh, a couple of days ago in the Daily Mail, pictured the amazing car-free 10-minute city in South Korea where re uh, residents can walk uh, to all amenities in a flash from swimming pools to cinemas. And this is the vision that, uh, that one architectural firm is, uh, has applied for planning permission to actually develop uh, in South Korea. 
Uh, and this is the view that we have of, uh, of this wonderful world where we get to run uh, in, uh, on a mezzanine floor above a swimming pool indoors. Uh, we get to look down on the ground. Maybe, maybe we want to jump off, perhaps, because we're so depressed with this, this whole concept of the 10-minute city. Uh, of course, it's got wonderful parks and lots of greenery and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but again, bearing in mind the number of uh, the amount of accommodation that there is in these high-rise buildings, very few people walking around the streets. Um, and uh, well, it looks like in a, the council estate, Elephant and Castle. Actually, I tried that a long time ago. Going full circle into <laughs> 1950s brutalist, uh, uh, super yeah. metropolis modernism. Well, I'll just add to that the documents circulating in, in uh, Plymouth quite a few years ago talking about the segmentation of the city. Um, so different social classes, groups would live in different areas of Plymouth. Um, but it was also talked about that dissenters, and I am not joking as I say this, dissenters would have their own ghetto areas yes so this discussion uh, was was uh, during tony blair's visit many years ago and it, it frightened a couple of the local reporters who were present and could not believe what they were hearing so my prediction is that we're going to hear a lot more about 10 minutes or 15 minute cities uh, over the coming 12 months and we might even see uh, one or two of them begin development around the world but david uh you know that this ultimately brings us uh, back to the earlier uh, prediction with respect to COVID passes and, and central bank digital currencies, because once we start heading in this direction, uh, of course, you're going to have to have your papers to leave your 15-minute city, uh, and very, very few people are going to have the right to travel. Well, it's, it's, based, it's all based on the... It's all top-down. It's based on the elite deciding how everyone should live, not on freedom. And therefore, you will have people who will not want to stay in a 10-minute city. You'll have people who want to drive their car and live in the countryside and go to, you know, the, 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 the big city instead or follow whatever passions drive that particular individual. And these people need to be controlled because otherwise there'll just be chaos unless we have properly regulated fun with uh, state controls and... You know, you you you're staying and you're doing what you're doing what you're told. Uh, in Scotland, we've just had um, not new COVID restrictions exactly, but new guidance, new advice from Nicola Sturgeon. Um, but it's not optional. It seems to be compulsory. It's just not backed by the law. And the any organisation, any you know, pub or restaurant, they'll have to take note of the government guidance. None of this is law. It's just from on high and this is the this is the approach this is the mindset um we don't want you pesky individuals doing your own thing that's just chaos what we want is you to do what you're told um it's all about compliance why are we why are we seeing so many people wearing masks it's not a public health measure it's all about compliance it's training it is training well, okay, let's lighten the mood, I think, as we approach the end of the uh, news. First of all, by a little glimpse into 2022, this was uh, an email sent to us by Sean. And uh, what's he saying? Well, if you press the button again, we'll get a bit more up on screen so that people can see. We've removed something you posted. It looks like something you posted doesn't follow our community standards. Uh, well, 
that's all the UK column news then, because if you look at what Facebook got unhappy with, it's all to do with UK column news, where the predominant references that have been put forward are the government's own data or mainstream press in any case. So the uh, first part of the prediction for 2022 is we, the UK column, are really going to be up, about, uh, up against it. Uh, but my prediction I'd like to share is that with your continued help and financial support, the UK column will expand in 2022. We will significantly increase media content hours and breadth of output so as to be able to start a spring offensive against the deepening totalitarian political agenda of the UK deep state, an agenda which we can expect to accelerate in scale and brutality from January 2022. So we want to say to our viewers and supporters, uh, yep, the future does look a bit bleak, but the good news is that as a result of your tremendous support for the UK column, we are in a very good position. We will be expanding. We will be increasing uh, production. Um, we fully intend to uh, stay firm and defend the territory against this pretty pernicious attack. Um, so I think there's lots of good news on the horizon. Uh, there is. And uh, Bob in the chat box saying, bigger chat box. Yes, we are uh, going to have a new community website uh, in not too many weeks now, probably first week of January or so, we'll be able to roll that out uh, with a bit of testing first. So so uh, there are changes coming there as well for our members directly. Uh, yeah, so uh, more staff, new faces, more strength, and we're really going to take it home. And I also want to say, since Patrick is sitting with us, don't forget the 21st Century Wire is doing a tremendous effort alongside UK Column. And there's a lot of material on 21st Century Wire, which we don't directly show. So if you're subscribing to UK Column, perhaps you should also think about subscribing to the excellent work that Patrick Henningsen is doing alongside us, uh, because we would say it's only by sticking together uh, that we're really going to uh, deal with what's coming in 2022. So thanks very much, Patrick. And it's over to you for the final the final slide, Dan. Well, before I show that, it's really about shopping uh, ideas for, for the kids. But someone sent this, Bill Gates sent a card to the office. Uh -huh. I think it's uh, really nice. He said, this is what, Dear Patrick in the UK column, despite you continually bad-mouthing me during this pandemic, I sent you this card to show you there are no bad feelings on my part, wishing you a very cloddy Christmas and a neurotoxic New Year, Bill and Melinda Gates. That's very nice. That's very nice. Very nice. So whoever sent that, Bill, if you sent that, or whoever, his proxy. It seems to say Pfizer on the back. It, it is. It is a Pfizer. Support. Sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for uh, thinking of us. I really appreciate it. Uh, okay. So so introduce the, the uh, well, final slide. It, the toy. Last minute Christmas shopping ideas, the hot item, the hot item. You remember the Cabbage Patch doll? You remember? Yes, of when course. When that was the rage? Became prime minister for a few years, Patrick. Well, the word on the street is uh, the rage this year is the new action figure, uh, this sort of science fiction action figure. It's right here. Life-size doll, lifelike doll, the Klaus Schwab action figure here with complete with the sort of uh, uh, Omicron spacesuit. And you see the stormtroopers flanking him in the background. So this is a must-have item. 
for the kids. And, and it's bendable, isn't it? You can bend the body and the legs. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Just like our government, totally malleable. <laughs> I had heard that. Uh, David, thank you very much for being with us today. Have you got any final thoughts? Uh, it was interesting to hear Alex Thompson while he could talk to us, uh, talking about uh, educating ourselves being a big priority for the next year. Um, he didn't know, but I was pitching that to the two of you last night as uh, as an idea as to what we one of the things we should be doing as we expand into the new year. So it's uh, certainly exciting times ahead, and I just want to say to all the all the viewers and listeners. Uh, every every lethal liability out there that, that's watching us, thank you all very much for your support during the year. It's been tremendous. Yes, well, we can't uh, we can't echo that enough. Uh, so thank you, David. Thank you very much. Um, we're back on the third of January. I'm, I'm is, glad you knew the date. Mike, yeah, I think, I was I think thinking, it's the third. <laughs> what was it? Which is the first Monday in January, uh, and uh, and David will be with us. I'm sure. Uh, we will say if World War Three breaks out in the meantime, we'll we'll uh, do something about that to cover it. So there are emergency procedures in place in UK, Column, but hopefully it'll be a quiet, well-behaved uh, yeah, Christmas, Christmas break. Yes. That's it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again to all our supporters and subscribers. We can only do what we do with your help and uh, we're going to do more for you in 2022 so bye for now we'll see you 3rd of january 3rd of january 2022 stay safe be nice have a good time bye bye, bye, -bye.